I remember before I was a Christian, I was really on the fence for a little while where I believed that God existed, I believed that I ought to follow Jesus, I believed that the Bible was true, and I still had not yet been baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. And I remember going to CFBC, and I remember sitting down with uh, some people you may know. I sat down with Rusty Hilliard over at Central and Haines City, and I sat down with John Fanoff. We called him Papa John at camp, I'm not sure why, but um, sat down with him, and we talked for or quite a while, and they asked me, you know, they said, you seem pretty involved, you seem like you believe what's going on, you know, what, what's the holdup? That's what they were trying to get down to. And there were a couple of different things, but one of the things was, I told them, I'm just not really sure if I love God. I'm just not really sure if I understand that I love God. I don't really feel that. I don't know if I know that I do. And their response essentially was, well, try thinking about all that God's done for you. You know, maybe give it some time and think about what God has done. Read about what he's done in his word and maybe uh, that'll help, you know. And I certainly think that's part of it. And I think that's part of what the psalmist here is doing in Psalm 103. Not that he's struggling to love God, but he's recounting all the things God has done. And the only thing, the only thing he can conclude is, oh, praise him, all that is within me. And he tries to get everybody, everything that's around him, to praise God as well. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. And I hope it fuels us to love God, to remember why we love God, and to remember everything that he's done for us. So if not, if you haven't already asked that, you'll turn into Psalm 103, the 103rd Psalm. And we're going to see how the psalmist praises God for what God has done to benefit him and also Israel as well. And we're going to recognize these benefits that the Lord gives us as his people and then see the conclusion, see the psalmist's response. Having cataloged all that God has done for him, we'll see that the psalmist's response is praise. And I hope that the same can be said for us. So notice the first seven verses and we'll notice that the psalmist is praising God because of God's provision. Notice what it says, bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You see, the psalmist is saying, if he forgets what God has done for him, he could slip in to not praising God. Forget not all his benefits. And then he starts to list what God has done. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Notice in the first place here that the psalmist's desire is to praise the Lord with everything he has because of what God has done for him. In verse 1 he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, Bless his holy name. And sometimes we read about blessing the, the Lord and we think, what does that really mean? Doesn't the Lord bless me? How am I supposed to bless the Lord? But it's not just in the giving of a gift or something like how we usually say God has blessed us. That word bless can also mean to kneel down to. And what David is trying to do here is trying to get himself and every ounce of his being to kneel down to the Lord and to give him the praise that is due him. 
And the benefit behind this praise is a recognition of the Lord's benefits, a recognition of what the Lord has done for him. And chiefly here, David has both physical and spiritual benefits, physical and spiritual provisions in mind. Notice the Lord provides both physical and spiritual healing. Verse 3, forgives all your iniquity, he heals all your diseases. Notice also that he rescues, saves, and blesses his people. Verse 4, he redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Instead of forsaking God, instead of God forsaking his people, he delivers them and helps them, and his love is with them always. Notice that he gives them good things, gives people, us, good things so that they could be strengthened, so that their strength is renewed like the eagles. How? Because of the good that God has given them. He helps those who have been hurt by others. Look at verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. God cares about those who are downtrodden by society. And he's there and he wants to help them. And he will help them. And then notice he reveals himself for the good of his people. Verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. And I feel like if there's anything in this list that's easy to take for granted, at least for me, that's the one. You ever thought about the fact that God, technically speaking, doesn't have to reveal himself to us? He didn't have to give us his word. He didn't have to work those mighty acts through Moses and others. He didn't have to deliver a law to Moses so that the people could know how to live. But he does. He did. Why? So that they could be blessed and so that they, hopefully, would return praise back to him. For us... I think sometimes, especially myself, we need to be reminded that our remembrance of the Lord's benefits is fuel for continual praise. If you ever find yourself in a rut where it seems like it's hard to praise God, where you're almost dreading coming in to worship Him, where your Bible stays closed and you haven't prayed in a while, I ask you, encourage you, challenge you to think about the things in your life that God has given you. And obviously our lives aren't all just walks in the park. It's not all roses and daisies. But if we are to meditate like David does here, we can find and focus on the good that God has done for us. We sing that praise, I mean that song. It is a praise. We sing that song. We just sang it. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And we sing that song. It's a lot harder. I mean, it's a lot easier said than done, right? To actually sit down and to make a list of everything God has blessed us with. But if we did, I'd be willing almost to guarantee that if our heart's right, our response to God will be praise. And God still does these things today. If we're in Christ, if we're a Christian, he still forgives all of our iniquity. And though we still might get diseases and we still might die, sometimes God does answer our prayers to be healed of those things. Even further, he heals all of our spiritual diseases and spiritual sicknesses. He redeems our life from the pit. There's a resurrection, a resurrection coming where all will be raised and those who are in Christ will experience life eternal. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. It's as if wearing on our head is the very love of God when we're in his son. He satisfies us. He gives us good things. He renews our strength. He still seeks to work righteousness and justice for all those who are oppressed. And we still have his revelation today. He's not going to speak to us in the same direct way he did Moses, but any time we can go to his word and hear from him. And this truly is a blessing and ought to cause us to praise him in return. Notice in the second place, 
So in the first place, we ought to praise God for his provision. In the second place, we ought to praise God for his mercy. Notice Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14. Read those with me. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And the psalmist explains why. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. God ought to be praised for his abundant mercy. Notice there in verses 8 through 9, God is merciful by nature. He's merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. That means it's not just a little bit of faithful love. It's not just, well, I'll love you today. It's an abounding amount, more than he has to. That's how much he loves us. And a lot of is said about mercy. You've probably heard the old preacher expression, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. That's pretty good. But I think here we have a textbook definition of mercy. Look at verse 10. When you say, what is mercy? Verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. In other words, even though our rap sheet against God might be a mile long, he doesn't treat us, he doesn't treat his people in accordance with that. He doesn't hold those things against them. If we're in Christ today, we've been forgiven of everything. And instead of treating us as our iniquities, instead of treating us as our sin deserves, he goes above and beyond to deal with us differently. And it's explained why. God's deep mercy is described here in poetic language. The height of God's love is immeasurable. Notice verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth. And you might say today, well, I've taken science class. I know that the stratosphere begins at however many thousand feet above the earth. That's not exactly what's going on here. You've got to think in a society where that kind of number was truly impossible to measure. It's truly impossible to even think about at that time. This number that you can't even quantify. That is described as his steadfast love toward those who fear him. If you're seeking God, you're following God, his love for you is beyond really what can even be described. Notice that the width of God's forgiveness. How much is, willing, is God willing to forgive? How deep is God willing to forgive? The psalmist says you can't even describe it. As far as the east is from the west, how far is that? You can't tell me, right? You have these two opposite things. As far as these things are from each other, that's how wide God's mercy and grace is. God's forgiveness is nearly beyond comprehension. God shows compassion to us as a good father shows to his children, verse 13. And for some of us, maybe we've had fathers who aren't very compassionate. That might be hard for us to understand. But the psalmist is tapping into this kind of fatherly instinct. I've never had children, so I'm not really sure what it is. But I can think of times in my own life where I've done something, and my dad easily could have slapped me across the head and been totally within his rights, right? Just, I've done some stupid things that my dad has seen me do, and he doesn't. Instead, he tries to help me. Instead, he tries to teach me what I've done wrong. And God's compassion exceeds even that. 
to those who fear him, our Heavenly Father is like a good father showing compassion. Why does God do all this? Because he remembers something about us. He remembers that we're not like him. We're not eternal, lasting forever uh, in this uh, spirit uh, way that God is, right? We're not transcending this material world like God is. We're not yesterday, today, and forever like God is. No, he remembers our frame. He remembers how we were formed. He was there. He's the one who did it. He remembers how he picked up some dust of the earth and formed the first man, and then he blew the breath of life into him. And mindful of that divide between humanity and God, God treats us a certain way. He remembers that compared to him, we're so frail, we're so weak. And he looks on us knowing that, remembering that. And he treats us with compassion, he treats us with care, and he treats us with understanding. Not that he sweeps things under the rug, not that he lets things go by, that he shouldn't, but for those who fear him, for those who seek him, for those who follow him, the mercy is abundant, the love is deep, the forgiveness is almost impossible to describe. And for us, I think the rubber meets the road in a couple of different ways. The first one, like I said, if you're in a rut and you're struggling to praise God, you're struggling to worship God, I would challenge you to meditate on the mercy of God, to think about what you deserve in the eyes of a holy, just, and wrathful God, and compare that to what he's given you. And that ought all of us to cause us to praise him. I think even it should cause us for a tear to well up in our eye, to think about how God could treat us, and then to think about how he does. And we see here that he doesn't forgive like we do, He goes above and beyond. Sometimes we struggle to forgive others. Sometimes we even struggle to forgive ourselves. And it seems like there's some things, some people do that, even if they repent of it, even if they say they're sorry, even if they change their ways, it's nearly impossible to get over. Compare that to God, whose forgiveness is like measuring east to west. You can't really grasp it. He even removes our guilt to the point that he's willing to do it at great cost to himself. And that's what he's done in Jesus, isn't it? Not that God the Father came down and died on the cross. Bob gave a great lesson on that this morning. But do you think God the Father didn't feel a certain way about God the Son crying out for help on that cross? He must have. Then why did he let it happen? Because his forgiveness is like measuring the east to the west. His love is like the distance between earth and heaven. And so he's willing to forgive us, even at great cost to himself. Notice in the next place, we ought to praise God because of his faithfulness. Psalm 103, verses 15 through 19. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. 
The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his king, kingdom rules over all. God's goodness, coupled with God's faithfulness, gives us even more reason to praise him. I don't know about you, I've met some good people in my life. I've met some great people in my life. A lot of them are sitting right here in this room. But goodness doesn't always mean faithfulness. Somebody could be good, it doesn't mean they're always going to be there for you. Somebody could be great, it could be the best person you've ever known. It doesn't mean they're 100% loyal 100% of the time. But God is not like man. Notice in verses 15 through 16, man is like grass in a field. It grows up, the wind comes by, and it's gone. And we might say, man, 80 years, 90 years, that seems like a really long time. But in the eyes of God, it's like grass in a field. We have a guy who mows our lawn, but how often do you mow a lawn? Every week? I guess it depends on the season, right? It's there, and then it's gone, like nothing. The lifespan of a blade of grass, to our understanding, really is nothing at all. And there's certainly some some good people, but they can't offer the same kind of faithfulness as God. Why? Because they're like they're like a piece of grass. A wind blows over it, and they're gone, and the place knows it no more. But notice verse 17, the contrast there between man and God. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. God is faithful to those who fear him. And the steadfast love of people can pass away. Why? Because people pass away. But the Lord's love remains forever on those who fear him. He also shows what some people call covenant faithfulness. In other words, God doesn't break contract. Have you ever had an agreement with somebody and they either violated one of the conditions or they kind of backed out or they said, well, I know we agreed on this, but really I think and they try to do something in the fine print. God doesn't do that. Notice verse 18. To those who keep covenant and remember to do his commandments, he what? He gives them steadfast love from everlasting to everlasting. That is, eternally, forever. And the Lord rules far above the earth. Why is this important? Notice verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Nothing on earth can cause him to stop ruling. Even in the case of the Jews, when the temple's destroyed, and you might think, oh man, God is done for. His kingdom is really established in the heavens. His kingdom really rules over all. There's nothing man can do to climb up there and to touch it or to break it or to bring it down. So when God promises something, it stays. When God promises to be there, he will be. No man can thwart that. He's not like man who here, is here one day and is gone the next. And here in this passage, I think we are confronted with what can be an emotional realization. The steadfast love of people can pass away, but the Lord's love remains forever on those who fear him. Even the best person you've ever met in your life is capable of quitting on you. But God never will. He will always reward faithfulness because he himself is faithful. And there is no wavering with him. There's no possibility of him failing. He's going to deliver on his promises. He's going to be there and we can be sure of it. And unlike us and our plans and our ideas that may be here one day, may not be the next, God will always be there 
God will always be there delivering on what he's promised. Notice the result of this. When we realize these things about God, when we realize that he's faithful, that he provides for us, that he's merciful, notice the result. Psalm 130, verses 20 through 22. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And I think what we see here is that when we understand how great God is, the best we can, when we meditate on the goodness, the greatness, the faithfulness, the mercy of God, and all that he's done for us, we see him as worthy of praise. But notice David doesn't just say, bless the Lord that is all within me. I'm going to worship God. He calls on everybody to worship God. Not only his angels and his mighty ones who do his will, not just his ministers who do his works, but notice all of the Lord's works. Everything that the Lord has created, David says, ought to praise him. It says, in all places of his dominion. Well, where is God's dominion? Look at verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Everywhere is God's dominion. And who are God's works? Everybody is God's work. So David says, every single person and every single place ought to worship and praise God. But it's more than that. David ends this psalm the same way he began it. It's not just enough to get everybody else to worship God, to get everybody else to praise God, to get everybody else to see how great God is. David ends it personally. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And he realizes because what God has done for him, it's not just enough to call on others to praise God. He's determined to praise the Lord with the deepest part of his inner being. And I hope that when we meditate on these things, when we go into God's word and we reflect on our own life and we see what God has done for us, we'll do the same. We'll be encouraged to praise God, to worship him, to bless him, to make our entire lives oriented toward him. But not just that, to get the people around us to join us, to say God is so great, he's worthy of every single ounce of praise that this world can give him. And we ought to praise him with every single ounce of our being. Not because we're strong, not because we're great, not because we're uh, good Christians, because God is that magnificent that he deserves everything I've got. Maybe you're like me, how I was a couple years ago. Really, it's almost six years now. And you're struggling with this idea of even really loving God. And you're wondering, how can I do that? I encourage you to look into his word, to see what he's done, and to conclude the same way as David. Oh, my soul, bless the Lord. All that is within me, bless his holy name. I'd like for you to notice something here in Psalm 103. All these benefits that God gives, all these good things that God delivers. Multiple times it's described that these things are afforded to those who fear him. These things are afforded to those who live and set up their lives according to what God has revealed. 
And this doesn't mean that they're perfect. This doesn't mean that they never mess up. But their lives are oriented toward God. Before they make a decision, before they open their mouths, before they think, before they go to do something, they think about what God will think about what they're doing. And hopefully that's us. Because when we fear the Lord, we can be certain that his love for us is impossible to calculate. We can be certain that he will deliver us. We can be certain that his faithfulness will be with us forever. And when we're at the end of our lives and we see the end drawing near, we can be sure that we will go to the other side and see God. Because he's not like us. He doesn't break promises. He's not like us. He doesn't flake out on things. He's not unstable. He will deliver. He will keep what he's promised. So the question for us tonight is, do we fear him? Do we seek him? Do we live according to what he's given us? And I know for most of us, the answer to that question is yes. But for those of you who do not fear God, who live your life day in, day out, not really thinking about him, I'd ask you to consider what God has done for you. Even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not one of his people in this special way in Christ, God has so blessed you with your life. He's still blessed you with enough safety and health to be here. He's blessed you with countless opportunities. Every good thing you've ever had in your life has come from God. And I think we can agree that you're obligated to return your life to him and to live for him. Maybe we do fear God. Maybe we've put Christ on in baptism. Maybe we're Christians, but we still struggle. We say, why should I love God? Why should I praise God? Why should I seek to do his will because of what he's done for us and what he's done for us the way he feels for us? Even here in this psalm, we see is more than we can really recount. And he deserves every part of what we have. If you're here tonight and you have a need to repent, to come to God for the first time, to be immersed with his son in baptism, to be clothed in that goodness, to wear God's steadfast love as a crown, tonight's the night to do that. And if you're here and as a a Christian you're struggling and you're unsure about God's love for you, you're unsure about if God even really cares for you, I'd encourage you again to think about the words of Psalm 103. And know that if you're a Christian, 100%, these same things are true for you. And you can know that God is with you, and he loves you, he cares for you. If you have a need, please come forward while we sing this song.